David, I think Miss Lina cranked it up a, a couple of notches over there on that, didn't she? got a little excited about that Jesus Saves this morning. Thank you, Miss Lina. Uh, that organ was a kicking. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open to Romans chapter 15 this morning as we are going to have uh, this week and next week uh, devoted to our harvest offering theme. For those of you who are either watching online, I know we have several people that watch online, my mom, my dad, I've got friends in Mobile, some guests that are watching online, and you have no idea what Harvest Offering is. Harvest Offering is a yearly offering that we do here at Central Park to try to fund all of our mission endeavors, and it, it's a beautiful mechanism that we have for funding missions because it allows us to be able to spread the giving of missions out for many of our people across a 12-month time period as opposed to trying to have these heavy emphasis, especially around Christmas. We still emphasize the Lottie Moon Christmas offering at Christmas, and we show videos, and we talk about the work of our international missionaries, and we give people an opportunity to give to that if they would like to. But just kind of keep some of the pressure off of some of those seasons and allows us to be able to fund uh, all of the Great Commission work that we have here at Central Park Baptist Church in an incredible way. And so this year is, is this day, uh, November the 8th. We always do this kind of the first Sunday or second Sunday of November uh, that we ask people to begin to bring your pledge cards back with your pledges and offerings for our Great Commission offering that we call the Harvest Offering. This year we have come up with a theme that is called Hope for a Hurting World. And that theme is based out of a, a verse that we will read here in just a minute in Romans chapter 15. Um, and, uh, and so I invite you to look at w with me at Romans chapter 15. Let's go ahead and do that, starting in verse 8 this morning. Let's read this text. Paul talking, kind of concluding the book of Romans, and this whole thing in Romans has been about the gospel and what God has done in Christ. And so in concluding that in these last few chapters, he says in verse 8, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol Him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Our theme this year is hope for a hurting world and it comes from this last part of Romans chapter 15 verse 12. It also comes from a, a, the very same phrase appearing in a passage in Matthew chapter 12. You don't have to turn there, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but in in Matthew chapter 12, in the gospel, Matthew is, is giving us Jesus' response to an incident that took place between him and the Pharisees after Jesus had healed a man in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. One day when they were in the synagogue, this man came and he had a withered hand. Now the text doesn't tell us how long he had had that, that you know, malady or that physical deformity. But the text would suggest that it had been something that he had had for quite an extensive period of time. It was probably something. He was not new to the synagogue. Many people would have known him. 
It would have been something they would have seen regularly. But this, this physical deformity of this withered hand was something that had a serious impact upon his quality of life. In some eyes, it was also seen as some, by some as a possible sign of sin in his life because many people in the first century believed that physical disability was brought on by God as a judgment against someone's sin. Jesus had deep compassion on this man this day, and Jesus also was the only one who had the ability to heal this man's hand. But it was the Sabbath day that day, and the religious leaders had declared that healing someone on the Sabbath was to be considered an act of work and was a violation of the rules of the Sabbath. Many of the Pharisees in that region were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of His increasing popularity among the crowds. They were jealous that many were beginning to advocate that He might be the Messiah. They saw this man with this hand as an opportunity to trap Jesus in a legalistic religious dispute. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus was aware of the intentions of the Pharisees. He knew that they were watching Him and He knew that if He healed this man that immediately they would see that as a violation of the rules of the Sabbath and it would cause a problem. So Jesus, before He heals the man, He, he says to the Pharisees, He kind of tells them this parable in which He says, if you, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit, would you not try to help that sheep out of the pit or would you just leave it there to die if it fell in the pit on the Sabbath day? And his whole point of that was to demonstrate that, that showing mercy and understanding the value of human life was more important than keeping religious rules. And so Jesus, after saying that, performs this miracle and immediately the Pharisees begin to conspire about how they're going to get rid of him, how they're going to do something with him. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 12, after that incident, that Matthew writes these words, Jesus, aware of all of these things, aware of what the Pharisees were doing, withdrew from that region. Many people followed him. He healed all of them, and he ordered them not to make it known. And then he says this, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, Behold, my servant who I am chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And then verse 21 of Matthew 12, In his name the Gentiles will hope. That phrase in verse 21 is the same phrase that we see in Romans chapter 15, Verse 12, in His name, in the name of Jesus, the Gentiles will hope. Both this prophecy in Matthew chapter 12 as well as in Romans chapter 15 were from a prophecy of Isaiah about the mercy and the power of the one who was to be the Messiah. And by stating this prophecy the way they do in Matthew and in Romans, both Matthew and Paul are making the statement that this prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled in the man known as Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And because Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy, Jesus is the hope of salvation for all the world. In His name, in the name of Jesus, the Gentiles now have hope. 
This is important because we live in a hurting world. We live in a world that is searching for hope. It's always been this way. It's always been the case in our lifetime, but probably at no time more than in the last 10 to 11 months of this year have we seen this reality displayed more clearly that we live in a world of great pain. We live in a world of great disillusionment. We live in a world that is starving for hope. We have suffered this year for almost a year now through a global pandemic that to this point, we have been told, has infected almost 50 million people on our planet and resulted in the death of 1.25 million people. In the midst of this global pandemic, this is not just an American problem, it's a, it's a world problem. And in the midst of this pandemic, billions of people have seen the truth that government cannot protect them and keep them secure from plagues and infestations. And that even the best medical advancements that we have cannot cure all disease. And so what have we seen? We've seen people that have begun to lose hope. We see this, this, this sense of dread in our culture. We see people that are afraid to go do the normal task that, that we do just to sustain life because we're afraid of potentially contracting a virus. I'm, I mean, I'm talking to people right now who are wondering whether or not they're going to be able to get together with family members in two weeks for something that we normally all do and something that we all find great hope in because we don't know that we can safely do it. It's really a hopeless situation. We've seen in our nation the toxicity and division in our political and government systems displayed more than ever before. Again, it's always been this way, but it's been elevated even more in the last several months. We've seen public injustices that have dug up decades of pain and hurt in people in our world. We've seen peaceful protests that have turned into out-of-control riots in the streets, and all of this stems from people who live without lasting and eternal hope. And even in the last several decades, in a time in which in 2020 we have more technological advancement than we've ever had before, we have access to more information than we've ever had before, if you believe sociologists and humanists that would tell us that things should be evolving for the better because because the more we know and the more we understand, the better off we will be and the better people we will become. In the midst of all of that, in the last three decades, we have seen more war and violence on our planet than at any other time. We have ethnic cleansing that is taking place and has been for generations in the Middle East and across North Africa. We've seen hundreds of millions of refugees who have been displaced from their homes because of the continual threat of war and violence in the ministry in which I'm a part of at Four Corners Ministries, which we partner with here at Central Park Baptist Church. We have seen in the last four years between 2.5 and 3 million people leave the country of South Sudan and move into government encampments in northern Uganda because living in their homeland is so dangerous. They've been displaced. Northern Uganda right now is the second largest refugee 
place on the planet. So where is the hope for those who are refugees and those who are homeless? Where is the hope for victims of injustice in our world? Where is the hope for those who have lost loved ones this year? Where's the hope for those who will gather at Thanksgiving and Christmas and have an empty seat that they didn't expect this year? The scriptures make it clear that Jesus Christ is the only hope for a hurting world. Injustice and division and chaos and death and disease, all of these things exist because the world in which we live is a broken world. It's not what God made it to be. It's not how God created it. God didn't create this world with brokenness. And praise the Lord, the scriptures tell us that this world is not one day what God will remake it to be. Scriptures tell us that the hope of the gospel is that one day our king is returning and when he returns, there's going to be a restoration. God's going to restore all things on this world to their original glory. And there will be no more sin and no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease. But in the meantime, we live in a broken world and a broken world searches for some kind of transcendent hope. Some kind of hope that is beyond us. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ is that hope. And that Jesus has left it up to us as the church to be the deliverers of hope to this hurting world. What does that have to do with missions? Well, missions is about finding intentional ways of delivering the hope of Jesus to a hurting world. That's why our theme is hope for a hurting world. The harvest offering of Central Park Baptist Church is our cooperative and sacrificial effort to fulfill the Great Commission in our small corner of the world. And each year, for over a decade now, the people of Central Park Baptist Church have sacrificially given over and above your regular tithes and offerings to equip and empower us as a church to do amazing work for the kingdom of God. Let me just give you a few things. If you got a letter in the mail, you got kind of a a summary, and you got a, a statement of some of our strategic mission partnerships that we support. But let me tell you a few of those. Right now, um, and at the end of 2019, we did a pledge campaign, and the church pledged $105,000, and at of the end of October, you have surpassed that, and you have given over $110,000 this year uh, to the harvest offering. That in the midst of a global pandemic, uncertain economic situation. What, what is going to happen? Am I going to lose my job? Am I going to be furloughed? Uh, in the midst of, of the not knowing, can I come to church? When can I come to church? What's going on? In the midst of all of that, Central Park Baptist Church members have given over and above what they pledged this time last year for missions. And because of that, we are on track right now. In a few months, in about eight or nine weeks, we are on track to give over $21,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that is distributed to support a network of over 4,000 international missionaries through the International Mission Board. We are also on track to give over $16,000 to Annie Armstrong next year to support church planting and evangelism here in the United States and North America through the North American Mission Board. You put those two together and 
Central Park Baptist Church is going to give almost $40,000 to the work of evangelism, church planning, and missions through those two offerings. In addition to that, we are expected to give over $4,000 to the Alabama Baptist Children's Home to support the ministry of at-risk, to ministry to at-risk children in our state through foster and orphan care. And the Children's Home has been a ministry that has been very close to the heart of Central Park Baptist Church for many, many, many years. You are also continuing to support one of our own, Danny Perkle, who serves on the staff at H2O Church, which is a church, a collegiate church that meets outside of the University of Cincinnati right off the campus. And even in the midst of a, a, a turmoil and, and people being in online classes, not being able to do things on campus, not knowing what it was going to look like when the campus restarted, even in the midst of all of that, that church has continued to make disciples and proclaim Jesus among the collegiate students there in Cincinnati. We have multiple pastors in our church that are being sponsored through our pastor training center at Abana's Hope and being trained to reach the Acholi people as well as the tribes of South Sudan in northern Uganda. We have picked up, in addition to that, this last year, we picked up the rent for our church plant in the city of Gulu, uh, where there are many churches but very few gospel-proclaiming churches within that city, and we have planted a church there, and there was a need to, to pay for the rent for one year, and we were able to reallocate some funds to pay for the rent for that church for the next year. We also have helped to pay for airtime for a weekly radio broadcast that is going out over the gospel airway, over the airwaves all over northern Uganda, proclaiming the gospel and proclaiming the truth of God's word. In spite of our trip to Guatemala being canceled earlier this year, we were able to reallocate some funds to give almost $6,000 to help get rice and beans and other food staples to villagers there in those villages that we work in who were finding their food supplies to be in critical state because of the COVID pandemic. We have continued our partnership with Bruce Outreach Center in Western Port, Maryland. We picked up a direct sponsorship of uh, Stephen Carr, the pastor and director of that ministry. And we also just recently purchased several thousand dollars worth of toys that are being shipped to them for them to distribute at their Christmas toy drive this year in one of the most impoverished places in the United States of America. We've continued our work here locally with First Priority and Clothe Our Kids, Save a Life, and many other ministries here in our community as well. We've done all of this and much more in spite of uncertainty, in spite of travel restrictions, in spite of personal limitations that were brought on by a global pandemic that none of us saw coming 12 months ago. God has done a great work in, in, through Central Park Baptist Church this year. And this is why we give to the harvest offering. We give to the harvest offering because we actively seek dozens of ways to accomplish the Great Commission both across the street and around the world because we believe heavily in several core missional convictions that we believe are displayed in the Word of God. I want to share a couple of those with you today before we look at this text in Romans chapter 15. I have three core missions convictions that I think really kind of undergird why we give to missions. The first of those is that 
Jesus is not just the, the God and King of one people. He is the God and King of all peoples. Jesus Christ is not just the God and King of one people. He is the God and King of all peoples. To understand this, we need to understand a little bit about what was going on in the first century culture and why it was so radical for Paul to make this particular statement that he does in Romans about the Gentiles having hope. You see, in the first century culture, many of the Jews in that day had, had animosity and deep-seated deep years of resentment because of thousands of years of occupation and persecution from surrounding nations. The Jews desperately wanted to see a Messiah who would come to be their king to establish his throne in Jerusalem because they wanted a king who would restore their nation and restore the glory of Israel. But one of the reasons why they missed out on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah was because he didn't look like the king that they were wanting. He didn't look like the king they were looking for. One of the reasons why the Jews clashed with Paul and the Christians in the first century was because they didn't like the idea of a king who belonged to both Jews and Gentiles. He wasn't the king that they pictured in their mind. And the same is true today. For millions of people on our planet, Jesus Christ is not the king that they want, at least not yet. There are millions of people on our planet who have not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ because He's not the King that they're wanting to rule them. But He is the King that they need, and He is still their King. The New Testament repeatedly makes the case that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and that Jesus is the God and King of all peoples, whether they know of His kingship or whether they humbly bow to Him as King or not. He is still their King. He is not their King because they bow. They will bow because He is their King. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is coming back, and when He does, every what? Knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why do we do missions? We do missions because fundamentally we have a conviction that Jesus is not just the God and King of one people. He's not just the God and King of those who meet at Central Park Baptist Church. He's the God and King of all people. He's the King of the Acholi people. He's the King of the Baroli people. He's the King of the Nuer people. And all of these people need to hear about their king. We also do missions because we believe that lost people live without hope because lost people live without Christ. We talk about hope for a hurting world. We talk about what's going on in our world today. We talk about the hopelessness that exists in our world. The reason why we have a world without hope is because we have many in our world who live in this world without Christ. It's not that lost people don't believe in hope. As a matter of fact, we had a political candidate that ran several years ago on the platform of hope. His administration was going to bring hope to this world. Lost people talk about hope. Lost people search for hope. And even sometimes lost people temporarily display some level of hope. 
We saw some of this yesterday in some of the public reactions to the news of the president-elect. And there were people who felt hope. But the hope that people feel in this world doesn't heal and it doesn't last. Because hope in this world is always hope in something that is broken, temporal, and fallen. Hope in this world doesn't last because it's hope that is temporal. So hope in government, or hope in a relationship, or hope in economic prosperity, all of these things will fade because I learned a long time ago that broken things and broken people can't fix broken people. Broken stuff, broken systems, and broken people can't fix the brokenness inside of you and me. Lost people live without hope because lost people live without Christ. And the only place we can find a hope that can heal is in Jesus Christ. And so for this reason, our third missional conviction is that God's aim in this world is to spread the hope of Christ to all people. God's aim through the church is for the hope of Christ that we have found to spread from us to all people. Missions is crucial for us as a church because missions is about accomplishing God's aim at spreading the hope of Jesus Christ to those who have not heard. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he asked this question, how can people call upon someone of whom they have never heard? How can people call on Jesus as Lord and Savior when they've never heard of him, when they don't know who he is and what he's done? They cannot call in someone that they've never heard. They can't, they can't hear unless someone goes and proclaims, Paul says. <coughs> People cannot hope in something they've never seen or never heard. And so the aim of the church and the aim of missions is to spread the hope of Christ to all people. Every person in the city of Decatur every person within the state of Alabama, every person within the geographical borders of the North America, and every person who resides in every planet, and every, na every nation, and every country, and every tribe and people group on our planet. That's the aim of the church. That's why we exist. And so with that in mind, let me share with you real quickly three reasons from Romans chapter 15 why missions is critical, why we pause as a church to pray about giving to the harvest offering. Why what we do here as a church is crucial and critical. And the first of those is because Jesus Christ has opened the way of salvation for all peoples. Jesus Christ has opened the way of salvation for all peoples. Verse 8 says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. I want to unpack this for just a second. Paul states in verse 8 that Christ became a servant. When I read that, it immediately echoes in my mind Paul's words to the believers in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. You remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 when he was calling us to be humble followers? And he says that Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a what? Servant. 
and being obedient even to the point of death. That, that servant metaphor motif is the same thing that Paul is using here in Romans chapter 15. That Jesus Christ became a servant to the redemptive purposes of God. He was fully willing to pay the price for salvation even at the cost of his own life. Jesus did this because the only way to open up salvation for all people was for a spotless, sinless man to willingly give up his life in the place of sinful humanity. The only way that, that God could, could justly prosecute sin and punish sin and yet mercifully save sinners was for one sinless man to give his life on behalf of all sinners. And Jesus was the only perfectly sinless man who ever lived. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He, God, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus' sinless life and sacrificial death, Jesus Christ became a servant to God's redemptive purposes and in doing so opened up the way of salvation for all peoples, for every person on this planet to be saved. Now Paul says three things here. He says, first of all, he did this to show God's truthfulness. This is an interesting phrase. It's, it's a difficult expression to translate accurately in Greek. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. When it says that Jesus became a servant to show God's truthfulness, it does not mean that it was possible for God to say something that wasn't true. It does not suggest that God was declaring something about sin and salvation and then somewhat hoping that Jesus would make it happen. That's not what it's saying here. What it means is that Jesus fully proved all that God has declared to be true. Jesus declared by his life that what God says in the law about living a righteous life is true. And Jesus demonstrated full and complete righteousness. He fully obeyed all of God's commands, never once succumbing to temptation, proving that righteousness is possible. But he also proved that what God says about sin and the price of sin is true as well. He proved that the wages of sin is death. And that all sin comes at a great price. And Jesus proved that God was both just in punishing sin and the justifier of all people by paying for the price of sin himself. He showed God's truthfulness. He also confirms the promises to the patriarchs. So this, this sums up what Jesus did in respect to the Jewish people. If you know anything about biblical history and you know that the patriarchs were the fathers of the nation of Israel. Specifically, they were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God had made a promise to Abraham and to these men that from one man, from Abraham, he would raise up a kingdom of people who would belong to him and to whom he would display his glory and his grace. And it included all the peoples of all the nations of the earth who would one day be blessed through him. In that promise to Abraham in Genesis, God says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will come under the blessing of God. Jesus has made it clear that the promises that God made to these men were permanently valid and completely fulfilled in him. And Paul says he did all this in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, the word Gentile was used in first century Judaism to define anyone who was not ethnically a, Jude a Jewish person. The Jews were the chosen people of God, and in the Old Testament, they represented the people of this world who were God's people. If you were a Jewish person, you were born under the covenant of Abraham, therefore you belonged ethnically to God. And to help clarify this in the world, the Jews created a classification for all those who were not ethnically Jewish called Gentiles. Now from this, it was possible for a Gentile to come into the covenant of God, but only if they agreed to be circumcised and submit themselves to Jewish worship practices and customs and submit themselves to the laws of God. You could be engrafted into the Jewish people if you agreed to do all the things that Jewish people do. But in the New Testament, all of this changed. The people of God now are not an ethnic classification of one nation. The people of God are now the people of Jesus. The church is the new people of God. And in the New Testament, the Gentiles are those who are outside the covenant of salvation by grace through faith that was accomplished in Jesus Christ. The church now includes all those who have trusted Jesus by faith, both Jews and Gentiles, both those who were Old Testament covenant people and those who were not. And what Paul is saying here in talking about the Gentiles having hope and the Gentiles glorifying God was that God has opened a way of salvation for all peoples to know Jesus, to know how to be saved. But secondly, we see this, that Christ desires and deserves the praise and the glory of all peoples. Jesus Christ desires and he deserves the praise and the glory of all people. In the next three verses, Paul goes back into Jewish history and prophecy to show how God's saving purposes for all the peoples on this planet has always been his plan. He gives four Old Testament verses to show how Jesus has accomplished salvation for all people. The first of those is a quote from 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 that says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And in this verse, the writer is stating that missions is about singing and praising the name of God among those who have not yet heard of Him. Missions is about praising the glory of Christ among those who haven't heard. The second quote in verse 10 is a quote from Deuteronomy 32, and it is a call to all those who are without God to rejoice in Christ. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. The third quote is a, is a call from Psalm 117 to Gentiles to praise the Lord and for all the peoples of the world to extol and proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. And the fourth quote is two phrases from Isaiah chapter 11, claiming that Messiah would rule the Gentiles and that all the Gentiles of the earth can find true and lasting hope in Christ. This last part of it in verse, in verse 12 is the basis for our harvest offering, that in Him, Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. What's the point of all these four verses? Well, these four quotations demonstrate two things for us. Number one, they demonstrate that God always keeps His word. 
These four quotations were written down across several different centuries by different people, and they all found their fulfillment hundreds of years later in one man, Jesus Christ. So all throughout history, all throughout Jewish history, God was declaring over and over again that he desired all the peoples of this world to come to know who he truly is and to submit to him as king. And so all throughout history, he, he gives these little promises that the Gentiles will one day hear of him, that the Gentiles will one day rejoice in him, that the Gentiles will one day praise and extol him. God declared that the Gentiles would find salvation in Christ, and now they can because God always keeps his word. But the second truth that we see in these phrases is that Jesus Christ deserves the praise and glory of all peoples on this planet. What we see in verses 10 through 12 is a global call for all peoples to sing praise to Jesus, to rejoice in Jesus, to praise the Lord and extol the greatness of Jesus. And these acts of praising and worshiping are acts of love and submission that are born out of those who have found hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ deserves the praise and the glory of every person on this planet. So may we never tire, and may we never be satisfied, and may we never stop sacrificing for missions until all of the Gentiles have found hope in Christ. You see, we do missions because we believe Jesus deserves the worship of every tribe and every nation on this planet. We believe that Jesus is worthy of the worship of all people. And we believe that the praise of the nations is a gift that our Savior deserves. Missions is not easy. Missions is not cheap. Missions comes at a deep personal sacrifice. But it's because salvation also comes at a deep personal sacrifice. We believe fundamentally that Jesus deserves the praise and glory of all people. And then thirdly, we believe that Christ has left the task of spreading the hope of the gospel to all peoples to his currently redeemed people. Jesus has left the task, the duty, the responsibility of spreading the hope of the gospel to all peoples, to us, his redeemed people. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you. May he fill you with joy and peace, because God is the God of all hope. He has demonstrated his hope to us in our redemption and our salvation. And because of that, followers of Jesus, he says, should be filled with hope. We were once Gentiles. Those of us in the church who know Christ as our Savior, we were once outside of the covenant of salvation. We were once living in this world without hope, Paul says. We were alienated from our Creator. And yet somehow or another, the gospel came to us. Somehow or another, through through a, a father or mother who loved Jesus and told us about Christ or a friend who shared the gospel with us or a 
Bible-proclaiming church that we attended, somehow or another, the message of the gospel came with us to us. And because it came to us, our life went from a hopelessness to a hope. And because of that, followers of Jesus Christ should be the most hopeful people on this planet. There is no room in the follower of Jesus Christ for dismay and discouragement and hopelessness in the midst of all the things that are happening in our world because we know that if Jesus can bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life, there is nothing on this planet that can cause us to lose hope. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 that we should always be prepared to give to anyone a reason for the what? For the hope that is in us. And we should do it with gentleness and respect. You see, if you have Jesus, you have found hope. And if you have Jesus, you are called to be an agent, an ambassador of hope. As a matter of fact, he says here, not only are we to be hopeful people, at the end of verse 13, he says we are to abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word abound is an interesting word. It means we should overflow with hope. It should pour out of us. It should ooze out of us. It should be the natural language that we speak as followers of Jesus Christ. How do you picture the word abounding? The best way that I could picture the word abounding in my mind is what my mama's table looks like at Thanksgiving every year. That's abounding. We go to my mama's house and we got food sitting out on a table and on a counter and in another table in another room and we got food everywhere. And that, even though it may be different this year for us and it may be different for other people that won't be able to do this, but you know the picture. It's that picture of having absolutely more food than we could possibly eat and, and we see in all of this food God's gracious provision that he has given us, and we are abounding in food. That same picture should be the followers of Jesus Christ with regards to hope in this world. As followers of Jesus, we are not called to abound in riches and resources. We are not called to abound in lands and personal property. We are not called to abound in political capital. We are not called to abound in extravagant and ornate cathedrals and elaborate multi-million dollar worship centers equipped with the latest HD projection. These are not what we're called to abound in. We are called to abound in hope. And one way that we abound in hope is by giving hope away. You see, the thing about Christian hope that I've learned is that the more hope you give away, the more you receive back in return. The more you are an agent and an ambassador of hope, the more hope you receive back from the Holy Spirit. And the way that we give hope is by giving people the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way we give hope is by helping people trade the temporal hope in a fallen world for the eternal hope in Jesus Christ. We do missions because Christ has left it to the task of spreading the hope of the gospel to all peoples, to us, his currently redeemed peoples. It is us who have already heard and believed in that hope that we now have the task of spreading to a lost and dying world. And so in closing this morning, my question for you is just simply this. Where is your hope today? Where do you find hope in this world? 
Have you found hope in Christ? Because if you haven't, nothing in this world is going to give you full, lasting, and meaningful hope until you find hope in Him. And if you have found hope in Christ, then my question for you this morning is, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to be used by God to be an agent of hope to a lost and dying world? And one of the ways that we ask people to prayerfully consider doing that is by giving to our Harvest Mission offering. So if you're a member of Central Park Baptist Church, you received in the mail at some point in time an envelope that had in it a, a pledge card and another envelope and some prayer bookmarks and some paperwork and And we ask you over today and over the course of the next few Sundays to prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit what He would have you to give. And and if the Holy Spirit says that you need to give this much to the cause of missions here at Central Park, then you just fill out that card. If you want to go ahead and give that gift now, you can do that. If you want to give that over a period of 12 months, you can do that. But you fill out that card, you place it in the envelope, and you place it in one of our offering receptacles right outside the door. You can also, if you're watching online or if you're not prepared to give an offering today and you want to mail that in, you can mail that in. You can do whatever you want to with that. But we just ask you to think about how would God use you and the resources that he's blessed you with to be an agent of hope to a hurting world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And let's close in prayer this morning. I said a second ago that all of us are to have hope in something outside of this world because hope in this world will not last. So maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and and maybe as we talk about having hope, you just sense this feeling of hopelessness. You just sense this feeling of emptiness. You sense sense that, that there is no hope in this world and the reason for that is because you've never truly trusted in Jesus Christ. You never truly surrendered your heart and life to Him. You're trusting in Yourself, You're trusting in systems. You're trusting in people to bring you hope. But broken things and broken people can't fix broken people. The only thing that can fix the brokenness inside of you is Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you need to trust Jesus to be your Savior, you want to find real, true, and lasting hope, we want to invite you to do that this morning. And you can do that by just seeing me after the worship service or one of our staff members, and we'll be glad to talk with you about the Lord Jesus. If you're watching online and you need to talk to somebody about Christ, you'll see an email and a phone number that you can contact me, and I'll be glad to make an appointment to sit down and talk with you about the Lord Jesus. Whatever it is, do not leave this place today without hope. Because hope is here, and hope is a person. And he's here for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all hope. And I pray that, as Romans 15 says, that that we would be filled with that hope in believing. That we would be filled with hope and abound through the power of the Spirit and hope to the world that you've sent us to. God, help us to be the agent of gospel hope to all peoples who have not yet heard of you. God, I ask you to impress upon us what you would have us to do to be a part of the missions and, and, and the cooperative missions effort here at Central Park Church. God, lead each person according to your spirit to give what you would have them to. But Father, more than anything, I pray that for those that are listening or watching or here this morning, that do not have hope, God, that you would give them the, the faith to believe. The faith to believe that there is real hope in a hurting world and the courage 
to step out and respond this morning, to ask someone, would you please talk to me about Jesus Christ? I ask you to do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.